everybody, Jordan here, the PH is silent, and in this episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show, we talk about Dungeon Master Anxiety, keeping your players happy, and the broken challenge rating system. gentlemen welcome to the saturday morning DD show my name is jordan with a silent ph in the middle and i'm joined always by the clappy happy man known as yes. sir lucian over there at sir lucian gaming say hello sir hello how's everything going how's everybody out there uh, i hope things are grand i'm gonna hit a button okay good <laughs> i was like obs makes me scared sometimes um so I'm streaming on YouTube. Uh, Lucian is streaming over there on Twitch. If uh, And my connection is being choppy again. We think it's Zoom because I'm able to stream just fine, but like there must be pushing pushing more video data with Zoom that causes me to just like go to the cap of my ability to stream. So if you are not enjoying the stream over at YouTube, please feel free to check out Sir Lucian's channel um, as he has a much better internet stream. And the conversation is going on over there just as much as it is on um, this one. So hello, everybody. And we love conversations. There's we love conversations. Um, yeah, we got all kinds of great people in here. So uh, this is the Saturday morning D&D show. My mic is a little hot, so I'm going to lower it just a bit. And uh, we talk about Dungeons and Dragons and we took last week off. Why did we take last week we off, did. Sir Lucian? Uh, it was mostly my fault. I was gone. Um, I don't know why you took last week off yeah i took last week off because i went to pax unplugged which we'll talk a little bit about in the show but we are getting a little bit towards the end of the year where we've done a lot of shows so it does make sense that every now and then we might take one off but we've done a really good job we were just talking about this pre-show we've done a really good job of bringing you guys every saturday morning just about at 12 p.m on the dot with almost no delays never being late or anything like that. I think we've kept to a really good schedule. I think a, uh, a like a channel, like an NBC or an ABC, if they wanted to pick us up, they'd be really happy with <laughs> how well we've been um, as far as keeping on time and, and yeah, putting we out missed, lots of shows. We missed. Uh, there was there was a couple shows that we that I missed, and you did a solo show, and then we did the opposite of that, where you were gone for a couple of things, and I did a solo show. And then I think towards the end of the year, we were just like, it's more fun to do it with your co-host than it is just like by yourself. Yeah. Um, so uh, last week, instead of doing the Saturday morning D&D show, I just did a stream on my channel because I want to do like monthly streams on my channel and just kind of like chat with people. So I ended up doing that, uh, which is why we decided not to do the Saturday morning D&D show last week. And we did try doing one from a convention and it wasn't terrible. It wasn't great either. I was doing it from my phone with, yeah. you know, wireless connection and it was a little bit in and out though. We were able to make it work. I just didn't feel like, I didn't feel like the Pennsylvania or the Philadelphia one was going to work. Cause it was going to be much bigger and much more people there. And the day I got there, they were already talking about, um, the internet connection was very shoddy. So I was right. like, okay, you know what? Let's don't even try it for this one. We need to get you uh, some kind of like lapel mic that can plug into your phone too, just for like better audio quality when we do that in the future. Uh, yeah. But it, it worked out um, and it was fun. That was a fun episode because we got to see like the WebDM boys and um, it was just kind of fun to be like on the convention floor. So I had a good time with that. Uh, the cat is destroying things. <laughs> That's okay. always good. Great. He knocked cool over a coaster. Things. He's happy now. So Got lots of new see. names in chat, which is awesome. We just did get a <laughs> subscription from Mr. Bidwell. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you so much, Mr. Bidwell. But let's get to it. This is our show. This is Dungeons and Dragons news and, and stuff that we've done as dungeon masters and players and game masters and players in the games. And I think there was a pretty good amount. I think we're winding down towards the end of the year, because I think all the books are out that are going to be out for Wizards of the Coast. So we're not getting any more yeah, releases. For months, this probably, because they haven't yeah. even announced the next book. So that's, that's one, be, one of the things I yeah. want to say. Yeah, it was that they haven't even, we don't even know what the next book is. And we haven't even seen a hint yet, as far as I can tell. Yeah, well, and, somebody on Reddit said that Wizards of the Coast said something about they have new stuff coming. And stuff is an acronym for Spelljammer. 
and I don't know, they were really clever, but like they had some acronym that Spelljammer was going to be the next module, and it's all spelled out in the word stuff. So yeah. uh, don't, hold, don't hold your breath, but it's it's yeah. it's confirmed. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's there. You heard it here first. You know, we have the insight. No, we don't know anything. <laughs> um, it was really funny because at um, a gamehole con, the whole convention the DM boys, as we like to refer to them, uh, Pruitt and Jim, tried to get all of the Wizards of the Coast staff that they interviewed, they tried to slip in that question about what's the next campaign book to try to slip them up, and none of them gave it away. Kate didn't give it away. Mike Merles didn't give it away. Chris Perkins didn't give it away. Jeremy didn't give it away. So it was really funny that they tried really hard to get it, but we we couldn't get any more information. <laughs> um, no, smart, smart employees, I would imagine. They all signed some pretty big contracts to keep that hush-hush, so... <laughs> Yeah. Well, there will be a spoilers and swag show, I think is either today or tomorrow. It's coming up pretty quick. And Nathan is usually the one that will spoil things a little bit ahead of time. So keep an eye out on their Twitch channel if you want to see. I I think there's going to be some type of spoiler coming up in the next couple of days here. Might be tomorrow. I think I have to look at the schedule again. Okay. Yeah. So definitely check that out. Um, What else is going on in the world of Dungeons and Dragons? Well, if you were kind of looking around at videos, we saw some lore you should know videos came out again this week. Most of the time they put them out once a week. Sometimes they skip a week every now and then. But we got, um, which I thought was pretty interesting, we we got a look at the Gith Yankee or Gith Zarai and how they relate to the Dungeon of the Mad Mage. But we also got a little bit more information about the Gith and kind of where they came from and how they uh, have appeared in the... Um, in the campaign and in the actual, the genre, because it was one of, I think D and D sold me the most when I picked up my fiend folio book and on the front cover is the Gith Yankee, right? This really crazy artwork of this really crazy, cool looking character that you weren't quite sure what it was and had these cool silver swords and cool armor that they wore. And that book sold me probably more than any other book on I want to play Dungeons and Dragons just because of the creativity behind it. And I did. Mm. I played Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. I played all the different versions, and it's been pretty fun for the most part. The interesting little tidbit, I won't spoil the whole little thing. If you go back and listen to that lore you should know, is I just found out, I didn't even know that, the gifts were actually inspired by a story by George R.R. R. Martin. A short people. story, not his novels? I, I don't know if it was a novel. They say the name of the book or whatever it is in the video. I'll let you dive in and find it. You don't even have to dive in too far because it's right towards the beginning of that video with Chris Perkins talks about it. So you only have to go in maybe four or five minutes and you'll see it and you'll hear. And then you can look up that George R. R. Martin story of whatever it is, whether it's a series or book or whatever it was and say, but I just thought that was cool. I never would have thought there was a a tie from George R. R. Martin to Dungeons and Dragons, but there it is. The, you know, the gift we can, and he even says, Chris Perkins says, we can thank George R.R. R. Martin for the gift. Yeah. D&D in general has been a reflection of other fantasy, I feel. Um, and I, I mean, it has its original stuff. Like the Beholder is an original creation within Dungeons and Dragons and things like that. But like on a whole, it really is just a giant mirror for like the other other like people are like, oh, I want to play in this world or I want to play in this world. And they can use this framework of Dungeons and Dragons to play in these fantasy worlds that they like. Uh or not even that, like creating your own fantasy world, but you're you're always inspired. You know, they always say every author reads, and yeah, you know, so makes sense that uh, Dungeons and Dragons people would also be inspired by other fantasy genres and what have you. Yeah, and even if they didn't have a full on supplement, because there was like plenty of Lord of the Rings supplements that you could buy, books that you could buy, but still using Dungeons and Dragons rules. Um, and even though there were other RPGs that came out that kind of encapsulated all these different um fantasy genres conans and and Mm -hmm. just uh pathfinders and all these things in the dungeons and dragons lore whether it was forgotten realms whether it was greyhawk whether it was birthright whether it was like you spelljammer dark sun all these things pulled in all this kind of cool stuff even if you know we got gnomes and halflings because there were hobbits or you know yeah we got these other things because of where these stories were coming from and they didn't even just look into the the fiction the um of it but they also went into like storytelling and like old folklore stuff so you'll get Mm -hmm. old 
German folklore, old English folklore, old, you know, they went to these different regions, old Japanese, you get an Oni and that's kind of like old Japanese folklore or Chinese folklore. They, they would find places to kind of mine these different things and put it in the book so that you would get some of that. And of all the games that are out there, the fantasy games, they've done it probably the most where they've reached out to all these other things. I think all the other ones try to cover just one little setting and it's only about that setting, whereas D&D really has spanned so many different types of cultures, so many different types of folklore, so many types of um, fantasy novels or, uh, um, you know, all that stuff, just yeah. TV shows and, and books and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's been really cool. And I think that's why it's as popular as it is, because it resonates with people in some way, somehow, and through one of those mediums. And it's, I mean, the, a lot of that folklore is public domain, which is another reason that they kind of like skim and go into that kind of stuff to build things. Um, and that just reminded me of, I was reading my Tome of Beast book the other day, um, or maybe it was the Creature Codex, I forget which one, but there is a Chinese vampire in that book that uh, is like, blue skinned because it's dead um it has rigor mortis in its legs so it hops around rather than walks and i ended up like doing a wikipedia search on it because i'm like what where did they get the idea for this crazy monster and it turns out it's a traditional chinese vampire uh and that's where they got the idea and that's why oh, it was inspired cool. in tome of beasts and so there there's just like it, it's fun like i love mythology obviously and so that's fun for me is kind of researching this stuff and being like oh they got that from here like that's really cool so yeah yeah so that was cool to see some lore you should know they also talk about which i thought was pretty fun there's a second one that is the forgotten terrors of the deep so they go into some of these creatures and some of these things that you can use if you want to do aquatic adventures we haven't had a real aquatic adventure i think a uh, storm king thunder has an aquatic part that could possibly happen I don't know if there's one. In, there's probably a level that's got to be aquatic in the Dungeon of the Mad Mage. I haven't spoiled it yet. I've got my book, but I haven't read through it because mm -hmm. I want to play it before I spoil it. But I bet there's something aquatic going on there. But other than those, we haven't had you know one this year that I can think of that was a big aquatic theme like we've had in some other times or, or past modules. And I thought it was interesting to go back and take a look at those. And it's always popular. It's funny because... You know, Critical Role right now in their storyline is doing a very pirate themed, very on the ocean ships and stuff. And they in this last episode um, on this past Thursday, they were underwater exploring a cave type thing. I won't spoil hardly anything else of it, but it was interesting to see that there was a lore you should know that talks about forgotten terrors of the deep and boom. Critical roles deep into some forgotten terrors of the deep. And yeah. They're doing things with Sawijin or Merfolk or, you know, all these different kinds of creatures. And then what I thought was really fun about that whole video is Chris Perkins was talking about how to take something that is traditionally a land creature, but then what is the aquatic version of that? What is mm -hmm. the aquatic version of the owl bear? What is the aquatic version of the bullet? Oh, that's what the is the aquatic bear. version? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What is the, you know, so you can go through all these different things and come up with different ways um, to use them. And I think that's a really fun. And I've been reading a lot of um, monster hunter international books by Larry Korea, which is a really good, uh, modern day series of hunters that go after creatures so that the public doesn't find out about them and go into mass hysteria. And in that they have some water creatures that have been coming up. And I just thought that was pretty interesting. Um, so it's pretty fun. If you're into that, it made me kind of want to create an adventure or one shot where you, de you deal with terrors coming from the deep. I think that's just a cool, um, genre. I always think of like, um, you know, uh, the creature from the black lagoon kind of storyline or even like the fog john carpenter's the fog where they come up out of the ocean and they attack a town mm -hmm. um, we did a little bit of kind of that stuff in that uh, mclancy waddle one shot which actually turned into a three shot for us was a little bit of inspired by you know these aquatic underwater creatures that are attacking and they have barnacles on them and yeah you know, it's just really cool and gross and creepy in some ways almost cthulhu-ish but not quite that far into the creepy and insanity so it was definitely fun to see those and they're i think they're good for you as a dm or a, or a dungeon master or a game master out there that they just help you get ideas for your campaign if you're getting stuck you've been playing all year long and you're trying to think of something that you want to throw at your players, listening to some of these lore, you should know videos. Even if you don't use the specific thing, it usually drives some other idea for you to go, Oh, you know what? They're talking about underwater or whatever, but 
for some reason, I just thought of why can't we do like an underwater mummy? How would that look? How would that work? Instead of like a desert sand type mummy, what would this be? You know, and that could just drive a whole different thought process. Yeah, no, uh, I think, well, I think, I think it was WebDM, but somebody had a video about, about like changing monsters and like creating custom monsters. And that's exactly what you're talking about. Like, let's take a, a desert mummy, but make it like water driven. And so I'm going to change some of its attacks to be water and I'm going to make it fire resistant. And you're going to do all these interesting things because it is like a, this like moist mummy. Uh, that's the, that's trademarked. We're going to call it that moist mummy. So moist that's you heard mummy. it here first. That's I did that. So yeah. TM, TM. Um, and I do that all the time. I love taking like, like I'll just flip through areas and be like, Oh, like this is a really cool monster and I'm going to make it snow themed and I'm going to like change some of its abilities and do that. Like I have been working on that with, um, I had to do that just recently with hot springs Island because they, uh, encountered a, and I'll get into this a little bit later, but they encountered a giant, like water-based plant monster that was, um, in this like really humid area. So I found an equivalent plant monster and then changed a bunch of its attacks and abilities so that it fit this monster in hot springs Island. Cause hot springs Island doesn't give you stats. They just kind of give you a description of a monster and then you have to figure out how to implement that monster because it's the, the it's game neutral. Like you could use hot springs Island to run dungeon crawl classics right. or uh Numenera, whatever you want to do. So yeah, it was, it's, I do it all the time and it's a lot of fun. Like I like messing around with monsters and changing them up and stuff. So pretty cool. So other D&D news, other than a couple of those videos that were out, there's obviously lots of shows that are running now, right now, live actual play stuff, because that's just the big hotness right now is everybody's got their game out there. And there's a lot of good ones if you like watching different ones, lots of whether they're Eberron based or Forgotten Realms based or D&D based mm -hmm. or homebrew based. There's lots of stuff, even from Wizards of the Coast themselves, are like Mike Merles is running a game now, Chris... Uh, Chris Perkins is still running his, you know, dice camera action mm -hmm. game. There's just so many things that you can find out there. But the big change that I thought that happened this week for people that are kind of in our hobby and our genre is the big DM change, the Dungeon Master change for Acquisitions Inc. at the PAX shows, which are really the first place we saw live stadium theater seating D&D shows besides probably like what maybe Dan Harmon doing his kind of road show where he would do play D and D as a comedy yeah. skit kind of thing. But those were more like, I think comedy club sized more than they were big auditorium size. I think yeah. Act Inc was the first one that would fill like a really big auditorium. So for 11 years, Chris Perkins has been the DM for those great crazy shows. They wear costumes. They usually have big sets that they play on. They have lots of humor in their games, lots of fun. And with the people from Aquas, you know, um, Penny Arcade, and for the first time, um, Chris Perkins has stepped down and it is now Jeremy Crawford has taken over. So he ran a game at PAX Unplug. I was there and it was really good and fun to watch the new Dungeon Master jump in. They took him to Ravnica, which I also thought was the other reason I wanted to mention it. Even if you're not an Ack Inc. Um, fan, going to Ravnica and the main stage with the Wizards of the Coast, that's very interesting. They didn't take him to like Dungeon of the Mad Mage. They didn't do more Waterdeep with them, which are the two books that are out for Wizards of the Coast. He took them to, you know, Guildmasters of Ravnica. So that is cool that to show that the main show was also supporting that book. It wasn't just a one-off to say, here, here's some information about Magic the Gathering. Now we're just going to move on and leave it alone. They put it on their main show and they put a big spotlight on it. And it was an, a compelling and interesting look at it the way Jeremy did it. So if you, you can watch that online too to see that. And then, you know, everybody's wishing, you know, well, it's not like Chris Birkin has died or anything has gone away. He's still running his game. He did say it really had to do with, you know, running it for 11 years, but the anxiety of live shows and the nervousness that he gets before going and doing those big things was finally enough that he wanted to step back. And I thought that was an interesting thing because we haven't really talked too much about that in our shows uh, about having, you know, anxiety before your game's about to start or having a little bit. And I think all dungeon masters and game masters have some form of it, whether it's a little bit or a ton and before your game starts. And that could be every single week you experience it. It could be once if you're only playing once a month, it could be those new game masters or dungeon masters who've never played before. And they keep letting 
that anxiety that builds up, stopping them from running their session because they don't feel like they're prepared or whatever it might be. So I thought that might be something that we would kind of touch on too. So like what kind of anxiety does Jordan get? Now, now here's the thing though. Jordan is an actor who goes and does shows on in theater. So this is going to be like from a theater guy, what kind of anxiety do you get? Um, well, before I say that, uh, is, is, cause I kind of was confused on the internet. Is he stepping down like semi-permanently from Acquisitions Incorporated? Is that the idea? Permanent. Yeah. He's oh. done. He's done with acting. He's going to keep doing dice camera, dice camera action, action, which is his game. But, um, Jeremy, who, this was an interesting thing. Chris Perkins was the one that got Jeremy hired 11 years ago. Oh, so okay. they were friends before this and he talked to um, Jeremy and Jeremy somehow ended up being coming and working at Wizards of the Coast through Chris Perkins's uh, intervention. So they've been friends for a long time. Um, and back to your question, I don't get a lot of anxiety because of my just because of who I am, I think. Um, but the, it is interesting when you do something that is more personal, like I've never done stand-up comedy, but I have friends that are stand-up comics. And that to me is the scariest thing that I can think of is like, I wrote these jokes. I'm going to get up in front of people. It's only me. I have nobody else to rely on to save me or help me. And I have to hit these jokes and make them laugh. And, and what if nobody laughs at me? What if I'm like falling on my face? That is terrifies me and i think being a dm would be very similar uh, i don't know if you listen to the adventure zone with the mcelroy brothers but they're uh they're another DD podcast um very popular and griffin mcelroy was saying that when they first did their live game in front of an audience like he was petrified and he comes from they've done all kinds of live shows in the past with their other podcast my brother my brother and me and but this was like I wrote this, like, this is personal. This is, and it's just me up there running a game. If nobody likes it, all of the players are going to be looking to the DM to be like, well, what happens next? And I was like, oh man. And I haven't ran a game in front of an audience yet. I want to, I'm trying to start something local where I can like maybe film it and then we can put it on the internet. But uh, yeah, it's gotta be, I mean, it's gotta be terrifying, especially uh, if you're not used to that. Um, but I will say that Chris Perkins never once let on that he was that nervous. Like if this is something that was actually bothering him and he had anxiety about it, he did a fantastic job of just making it look really easy and fun. And thus, I think, inspiring dungeon masters to go out and become DMs because it is just like, well, that looks like we're like a whole bunch of fun. Like I want to do that. And I got into D and D partially through the acquisitions incorporated podcast and then live shows. And it was the same thing. I was like, this Chris Perkins guy makes it look a lot of fun. I'm going to try being a dungeon master. So thank you, Chris Perkins. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and I, I think um, watching them made me want to play in a really cool game. And it was listening to um, like Matt Coville and Adam Coble, the one that made me, want to switch to the dungeon master. But once I made that choice and you know, we've talked about this over the show for quite a while, that change for me was only a few years ago where I finally said, you know what? I'm not just going to be a player because that's all I had been for so long. I'm going to step into this dungeon master seat or this game master seat, depending on what system you're playing. And it was weird because for me, I didn't have anxiety on the first game I ran only because I was creating a whole Twitch thing around it all at the same time. And I was so involved in trying to get everything done on time for when I wanted to run this game. And I got the players and we played Numenera for the first one as a funny thing. So as a game master, and I was so trying to get all the technical aspects done. I wasn't even thinking about the anxiety of people possibly watching or, Oh, what's going on with the yeah. audience or anything like that. But when I ran the game in my house for some strangers of people I had not really met too much, they were friends of friends. So like you, this always happens with a game. Like you invite somebody to play in your game and they'll say, Oh, you know what? That's really cool. I have this friend who would really like to play too. Can they play? And you know, that's kind of how you build your group. It's off of, Oh, I got a friend of a friend and mm -hmm. you know, some friends and we'll just bring them together. So my anxiety came from, well, wait a minute, I'm about to sit in my living room with a group of adults, a couple of them I know really well, some I've barely met, and we're about to play pretend 
Dungeons and Dragons. We're all in our, you know, late 20s, 30s and 40s, whatever it might be. And I've never really ran Dungeons and Dragons. And oh my God. So that I remember building, I was getting a little like, okay, maybe I should just cancel. Maybe everybody doesn't wants to go do something else. Cause all of a sudden you're gonna have people at your house. Right. And you're yeah. just like, what if they don't like the game or what if I don't know the rule and they're like, how do we do this? And it just doesn't feel comfortable. But once we got playing and everybody's talking and laughing and having a good time and it was really good and you just get right past it within the first few minutes, it's like all that had went away for me. And then I would start doing more shows on Twitch and I would do more shows um, whether it was bringing YouTube people and influencers together, whether it was bringing friends together or what it was. And those were pretty good. And I kind of got past that. But then the next big flare up for me was I volunteered to do convention games. So mm. now I'm going to go to a convention and I'm going to play games for total strangers for a company who's trusting me to sh play their game and show these people how to play that game or have fun playing that game. So then it was a real kind of hit of, I don't want to mess up, right? Because I'm here for, I'm doing games for Monty Cook or I'm doing games for Magpie games. And I want I want it to be good. I don't want players to go away and say, oh, that game wasn't really great. And really the reason was me, right? Maybe the game is awesome, but they just had a terrible dungeon master or game master because he's only been doing this for a week or two when he read the book and he volunteered. So I got a really big, those convention games right now are the only ones that are giving me anxiety. When I prep for my games, like right now, my, my Monday games or any of the games that I'm running, I'm not getting any anxiety from those. And I'm not a big person that has it. So I don't know. I could stand in front of a crowd. I can stand in front of thousands of people and I, I won't have problems with that. Um, but going to those conventions, playing for people you've never met, and starting those games and you're doing it for a company who kind of trusts you to, to to put on a pretty good game that i was that i definitely get before the game starts but then it's always like you get five minutes into it and then it went away for me the so. uh like i think it's that pressure of wanting to do a good job for like the company that you're working for things like that because i feel the same way when i am a player in an online game, like when I, every time we had our Numenera game or I've done like a charity game or something, I always get really nervous. Like, am I interesting enough? Am I funny enough for this? Because it's, it, it is in front of people and you want to do a good job and you want to be like interesting rather than just this like passive player. Um, and I haven't ran a lot of game. I don't think I've ran any game online uh, aside from the Dragon on the Mount one shot, which we tried to record, but didn't actually record very well <laughs> i think there was no audio when we recorded it so we never yeah, kind of so went we away lost it. yeah um but i'll feel anxiety there and it's funny because i uh, i remember doing a saver dice show and everyone was like how are you feeling and i was honest i'm just like i'm really nervous and they're like what do you have to be nervous about like you're just a player it's not like you're the dungeon master i'm like i know but i i want to be interesting and funny for people like people are watching this you want to make it like a good show but it's all improvised so you're like i'm not sure how to make it a good show except in the moment and that can be you know full of anxiety so yeah yeah and i know that everybody has lots of levels of different levels of anxiety me and jordan might have a, a better threshold and it's not to say that don't feel bad if you don't have that same threshold if you if it's a real thing for you you know work through it don't feel like oh everybody else can do it why can't i don't beat yourself up i realize lots of people have trouble dealing with that and even like our show here our saturday morning DD show when i start this up like in the morning there's no anxiety at all i'm like super excited to run this in front of people and i could do this live at a convention i could do this it, it wouldn't matter because for whatever reason this show brings out the energy in me but if like you said i'm gonna run a game like if monty cook said we'd like you to run our Numenera game on the main stage at this big convention i would be a wreck yeah i mean yeah. i would be like whoa <laughs> okay hold on a second who, and here's your celebrity players that we're going to put in your game for you or whatever. Yeah, it might exactly. Be. I'd be like, you know, I could feel, I'm sure if they said, Hey, uh, Jordan, you're going to be taking over for acquisitions, Inc dungeons and masters. So you're going to have Jerry in your game. You're going to have Mike in your game. You're going to have uh, Pat Rothis in your game. And uh, we're going to throw in Strix. So all of them are going to be playing in your game. Let's just make sure you do a really good job. You know, the pressure from something like that, I could imagine being immense. So I, I would pee. I'm just saying yeah. like right there on stage I'd be like, what's wrong with you, Jordan? And I'm like, uh, 
Yeah. So I could see why he, and for doing it for 11 years, I also could see where somebody would say, okay, I, I, I want to either do something else now. And yeah. I realize the fans want it year after year after year, but people need breaks. Sometimes people need, even though they've done something creatively for a while, they, they tend to, whether it's an actor or a singer or a band or an artist, they're always going to make a change at some point to say, you know, I've been doing this for several years. I want to try something really different. And maybe the fans don't even like it that much. They're like, Oh my God, you put out a reggae album or whatever. And you're just like, <laughs> yeah, I get it. That's not what you normally like, but I need to make that change as the artist. Like every now and then you have to make that change. And I'm saying that not being an artist, but I understand. I'm sure they have that type of thing. That's what I'm excited for is that I hope, uh, I hope this blossoms into other things for Chris Perkins to work on because he is just a really great dungeon master and he writes really great stories and maybe he'll just focus more on his work and getting really cool published content out. But, uh, and he's got dice camera action, but I, I hope that he, I don't know. I hope that he keeps going and maybe he starts another live game at some of these conventions. Cause it could be really fun. I mean, He's got a, he, he, arguably he has a cult following, like people love Chris Perkins oh, yeah. and his DMing style. So it would be a shame if he just kind of faded away as opposed to trying new things. But I think he will try new things because yeah. um, that's like the drive, you know. And then a, another positive of it, one of the things he was talking about too, is that Jeremy runs the Wizards of the Coast kind of main game that has Chris as a player has a lot of the main people in Wizards of the Coast playing in the campaign. They've been playing that for a long time. So it's not like Jeremy's just jumping in, you know, without it just like it's cool because he's already running games where Chris is a player and all these other people are players, but we get to see a different style. And I think that's the biggest thing. Like I loved it when we got C team from acquisitions Inc. Cause we got to see Jerry Holkins run the game mm -hmm. and that's a very different style. And I love it. I love it so much how he runs a game because it's very different than how Chris runs a game. It's very different than how Matt runs a game Mercer. And it's different than Coville runs his game. And it's, you know, so seeing all these different versions of how to run a game, make it easier for us as dungeon masters and game masters, not to feel like, ah, oh, well, you know, I'm not doing Matt Mercer style GM. And so I'm, my game must not be very good. Yeah. Yeah. And on the flip side of anxiety in games, I don't know what made me think of that, but I'm going to talk about it now is uh, like the, the post game slump. Like I would run a game for my group and have all the fun and they would have a great time. They would leave. And then I would sit down and I would think of all the things I did wrong. And then all of a sudden I would convince myself, well, I'm like, I don't think they had that much fun at all. And like, are they having that much fun? Am I really a good DM or am I just like a crappy DM? And you start thinking, comparing yourself to like Matt Mercer and other things like that. And that is a slippery slope. And I would encourage everyone to take a step back or at least what, what finally did it for me is I talked to my players and I'm like, are you guys having fun? And they were just like, no, we're having the best fun, but it's not in a player's mindset at the end of a game to like turn to the dungeon master and say, you did a great job tonight. Like nobody really thinks about doing that, but sometimes dungeon masters need to hear that because they get stuck in their own heads. Like I did for a long time. And my poor wife would have to console me and be like, they're having fun. You idiot. Like stop feeling this way. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. It's funny you say that because a little bit later in the show when we talk about our week, it's that gets right to the hammer of what's going on in my games at the moment. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, <laughs> so speaking it's really of that, good. what's, what's, I mean, you didn't play any games this week, I assume, because you were busy with work and PAX Unplugged, but what's, what happened in this week yeah. of gaming for you? Well, there were two more things I want, I'll bring oh, go up ahead. briefly. We don't have to go over, but uh, Adventure League Season 8 dates have been extended so for those of you that are playing adventure league there's going to be a lot more in fact it's going all the way till august 31st so another eight months of um season eight before they make a change so that was a big thing because we there was a big we thought the new season was going to be coming season nine after a little bit after um dungeon of the mad mage came out but they're going to extend it to give us a lot more time to play in that season eight space so that's really cool there's an article you can check out on the dnd adventures league.org site you can go and read about that. That's the main site where they put up a lot of stuff. So that's cool. It's and probably the dragon... because like Dungeon of the Mad Mage is so big. Like yeah. I, I want to say they're giving them more time to try and get through that module maybe, but yeah. Yeah. I think that's true too. Cause I think when they, in that article, they list all the things you can do adventure league wise, all the different stuff. And it's like, they're listing the number of hours and it's like 
a lot. It's like yeah. over maybe two or three hundred hours if you played all the stuff um, for just that season. So I think it's true they want to give it some legs and let it let it run for a bit. And then um, the last thing is if you want to learn about any of the errata that came out, um, Dragon Plus, they did an article also online, and they talked about it, and Jeremy talks about the changes in the DMG, the Monster Manual, and the PHB, which all coincide with the new release of the special edition cover set that's out there, the gift set that you can... I went to my game store and looked at it and coveted it. I'm probably going to buy it at some point, but I've been spending money like water at this point, so I, I stepped back. But those are the big things out there. You can check those out. As far as what happened for my week, so yeah, I came back from PAX Unplugged, um, and I'd done work before that, so that whole week, last week, was just a, a, a big, busy mess. And so I came back this week and just needed this week to refresh. So I didn't run any games. I just kind of went through and read some stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but the big thing that came out of it is I did a check-in with my players uh, for my Monday night crew, and I think it happened. You know, it the maybe not the first time, but it's my campaign that I'm running, which seems fun in the way I want to run it and do it, I could tell was not fun for the players or it wasn't fun enough. Um, so over the last few sessions, I think the enthusiasm has been getting lower and lower. And the reason is it's been very old school combat heavy, right? They're dungeon delving. It's nothing more than going back and fighting and fighting and fighting. Um, it's big battles. They're doing really good jobs tactically about doing it. But what keeps happening is because you have a lot of these battles and you're constantly fighting, there's really not a lot of RP going on mm -hmm. for that. And I think the player base, especially some of the players that I have at the moment, have kind of switched to wanting more RP than battle versus me who loves tactical battles. Like I'm having a blast setting up crazy tactical scenarios and moving miniatures on the map and figuring out the best way to use abilities and counter different things. I'm just loving that. But I realized that that's me enjoying that part of it, but maybe my players or some of them aren't enjoying that. So for the first time, I think what we were going to take a break from that Revenar campaign for the main group, because I think the main group wants an RP heavy game and the West March's hex based style game is lots of combat to combat to combat, right? It's lots of going through hexes and get, getting into combat. Or if you finally find a dungeon, like your Black Pyramid is very similar. Mine's a normal Black Pyramid. Yours was an upside down one, but they spend a lot of time inside that. Right. Fighting creatures. They may or may not have been. You may have done a better job of putting in RP moments for them, but I didn't. Like, I'm just like, I'm running it because it was a module written by Gary Gygax has a black pyramid in it. It was old school. I was like, this is going to be really good. It's back to the old ways of playing the game, you know? And I was like, I'm into it. And then it just wasn't grabbing the players. They're just like, they're just having to slog through this place and fight over and over and every inch they have to fight over to get to move. And if they get pushed back, they got to fight for all that again, because that's just the way the module is. The module is about if you make too much noise, reinforcements come. If you do too much of this, this place is filled with creatures that are going to try to kick you out. They're not just going to let you in. And that's how Gary wrote it. And so that's how I've been playing it. So I'm at that point. It happened in Storm King Thunder a little bit also, where I had to do a check-in with my players and I had to figure out what I'm doing wasn't as much fun for them. And so then my thought process became all week this week. I've been thinking about it is, well, if I'm going to put a lot of time and effort into it, and it's only half fun for them, then it's not worth it, right? It's It's got to be really fun for them, and I can put in a lot of time because that's the only way that it makes it seem like we should put in a bunch of time to get this kind of stuff. It should be fun for them. And they love, like, the pre-campaign that we did where we did the test campaign. They love that because there was a lot of narrative. There was a lot of RP stuff going on. I, I drew in a lot of stuff from their characters, and I was just making up a lot of stuff in this in the real version of it, I brought in modules from other places and plopped them down into certain hexes so that if somebody bumped into that hex, I could run that module. And then all of a sudden, it kind of just blew up that game for them. Now, 
the other players who have played in Revenar, because Revenar is that game that I play with multiple groups, they're still having fun, I believe. There's still groups that want to sign up, and there's still people that are excited about, hey, let's go out on this one-off adventure with this random group of people that I can get this week. And I am more of like almost an adventure league feel or a living campaign feel. Um, so I'm going to keep running those. And that's for the fans and the people that can sign up. But I think our Monday night group, we're going to take a break and I'm going to reevaluate what I want to do for my friends who are in a home campaign and, and what we're going to do and where we're going to go from there. So it was interesting that you mentioned that the check-in with yeah. your players, that's the key. Yeah, no. And it's, uh, like I said, it kind of has to be instigated from a dungeon master perspective because your players don't usually like, unless they're having a real bad time, they're not going to come back to you and just be like, uh, you know, like, I really feel like we could have a little more role play in the game because building a game is really a personal thing too. And it almost feel like I would feel like I would be insulting the dungeon master to be like, uh, we need more combat. Like, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm not able to hit <laughs> yeah. things enough. Uh, we're going to have to change something or I'm not going to play anymore. You know, like that just doesn't really, doesn't really happen. So. And if you don't check in with your players, here's what they do is they don't tell you the game wasn't fun. And sometimes if you ask them, is the game fun? They'll say, yeah, yeah, the game's fun. And that's yeah. about as much as you get out of them. But what happens is when it's not is they're the excuses for why I can't make the game night or I can't be there on this Sunday or I can't be there start to become more because it's easier for them to say and justify, you know, I got other stuff I should be doing and it's only kind of fun. It's no big deal for me to say, you know what? I'm really me and my wife are going to go out to a movie or whatever. So that's the big thing. And that's when I could feel because we started having people kind of, being really wishy-washy about if they were going to make Monday nights or not. And it was like, I could tell at the end of it that they just weren't as into it as much. Right. And so my advice is don't just ask them, are you having fun? Cause that is not going to get you the answer you need. What you want to ask them is what is fun for you in the campaign? Have them name the thing that they're enjoying because then it really points you as the GM. If you talk to all of your players and the, and the one player says, Oh, you know, you tied in that one piece of the backstory for me. And that was so cool. That was the thing that was fun. And you ask the other person, Oh, I really like this tactical thing we did. That yeah. was super fun. You get the idea of what piece is fun for them so that you can get a very good average idea of, okay, what is going to be good that I create that the whole group on average mm -hmm. is going to enjoy, or can I include? And I think that's a better way to get feedback. Don't just ask, are you having fun? And I got, and this isn't from, you know, I've listened to Adam Coble say the same thing. You want focused feedback. You don't want just generic feedback. So you really want to ask certain things that are going to help you understand where the fun is and how the fun is. But here's also one other thing I would mention. You as the dungeon master and you as the game master, it is not your job or at least not only your job to make sure the group is having fun. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we take that on our shoulders and we take it to heart. We're the only ones that are controlling the fun in the game, but that's not true. Bring your players in. They have, if it's a five player group, they have one fifth of the responsibility of fun in that group. If it's a four player, they have one fourth of the responsibility of making that fun. Even though you're the dungeon master, the game master, the referee or whatever you want to call it for whatever system, it's still up to the players to also help make that game fun. And you got to check in with them to, to help them do that. Yep. 100%. Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. So, <laughs> yes. yeah. So that was my big thing. So now I'm in this limbo of, I'm going to still play some Revenor with my, the fans of the show and that are, that are still signing up and we're going to put how, out some. How do you sign up? Cause I think uh, the chaotic magnet in chat was uh, how do you, how can you sign up if you, if you're interested in this Revenor game, you can send me a message on any of the ways that you can get a hold of me, whether that's through my Twitter, which is solution at game at solution gaming, all one word. You can send it to me here in Twitch you can send it to me as a YouTube comment. You can send it to the uh, seekingrevenor at gmail.com email that I set up for the whole thing. Any way of those and say, Lucian, I would like to play in this game. Send me the info and I will send you the info so that you can get on our Discord. You can start filling out your character, creating it. We'll get you all set up and then you can start talking to all the people that are creating 
groups to go out on expedition and play as me as your GM. And I'm actually working one of the guys in the, I won't spoil anything yet, but I've been no talking spoilers. to um, a few of the players who are also game masters. And we may be trying to bring on a few more game masters for the Seeking Revenor campaign. So not only do we have one GM, me running it, but we have a couple to give more player options and more um, slots for people to play in those games. And the reason I want to do it is I want, I want to have this understanding of how do you run a campaign where you have multiple GMs working in the same world. Mm -hmm. And that seems really fun. So that's the big thing I'm tackling for 2019. We're going to try to get that up off the ground. Um, so that'll be cool. So there will be more Revenar. I will be still running those games. It's still D and D five E with some homebrew content, but my Monday night crew, I'm going to, I'm going to reevaluate what I'm doing. So they're on break. We're on hold. Uh, we're going to let that one go for a bit and see what we're going to do in 2019. The other thing I wanted to do um, because 2019 is coming up is I wanted to reset my schedule, right? I wanted to kind of really take a look at it, figure out where I'm going to be playing games online. What other types of RPG systems do I want to run and how do I fit those into my schedule? What do I do want to do with my channel and those kinds of things. So this week has been a lot of uh, introspection into what am I going to do once we jump into 2019 going full bore? So all that stuff's, I think, coming up. Um, the cool thing that I also did was I was at PAX Unplugged. So just a few things here, because I've done a bunch of conventions and we've talked about a bunch of conventions on the show. Um, it felt like a really cool adventure, uh, convention if you were going to go with a group of friends because it didn't have a lot of pre-sign-up stuff that you could do. It was a lot more like, here's a table then just you and your friends can sit at it and play games. Um, so if you went there and you didn't have a group of people with you, you would try to go to where they would sign up games, but all their signups were done um, at a table in the morning day of. So you would go over to what they called the RPG headquarters. You would stand in line and you, there would be sign-up sheets and you would sign up into a game. Well, here's the problem. The doors open at 10 o'clock. By the time I got over to that table and got through the line, and it was 10:15, all the games had already been signed up. And there was a line of people oh, wow. behind me blocks long waiting yeah. to sign up because there wasn't enough games. So all of a sudden, everything within 15 minutes is signed up. Now, all of a sudden, you don't have any pre-sign-up stuff that you can do. You have to find games in some other way. So to me, that was kind of a, a disappointment or a letdown. Um, I hope it's something they change for next year or do differently. Because like when you go to Gen Con, you can pre-sign up for games on the website. So you can be two months ahead of time and sign up for games. Um, but not like day of. Imagine if everybody Gen Con day of had to go to a table and there's papers on it. And then people ran through the line and were signing their name on the different papers. I mean, that's just, that's a mess. I don't know how they do that. I'm going to go and be the like rogue DM that's walking through the line. And I'm like, I've got this adventure right here. I'm looking for five players. I need five players right this yeah. now. And then we'll just go to a corner and play a game. That's <laughs> what I should have done. And I stood in line to play an adventure league game for an hour and a half. Didn't make the cutoff and didn't get to play. Oh. There was not enough seats. They put everybody in this huge line, 157 people in the line or something like that. They said, hey, you guys at the back, you may or may not get in a game. We'll be starting here in a while. An hour and a half goes by. They start moving people in. They get down to the end. Nope, we don't have a cutoff. So if you guys want to play in the next slot, come here. So they were telling people to come and stand in line two hours ahead of time to get into Adventure League games. Mm. You couldn't sign up in for them before. So... A few things about that were messy. Now, the convention center was cool. All of the food places around there were fantastic. Chinatown is right there, which was super cool for me. That's where I parked. Parking is a nightmare, um, just like it is at Gen Con. Um, there's lots of hotels around there, but they all fill up quickly, and they're super expensive during that time. But there's a lot of walking distance stuff that you can do. And there was a lot of people I bumped into, the WebDM people, Chris Perkin, or not Chris, I, Jeremy, I talked to Jeremy Crawford for a little bit. I talked to a bunch of DCC people, and I did get to play in a MCC game. I played my first Mutant Crawl Chronicles game with our friend, uh, James Wall who I told you we you kind of met and uh, you got to play in his Numenera yeah. game. Yeah, and that was really fun. Yeah, he's a cool guy. So he, I live for Chris. Our, yeah, he's got a cool blog uh, you guys should check out. So, <laughs> Yeah, and so he ran our game and he ran a nice, fun game for people. It was super good. 
Um, so I did get in a few games here and there, but on the whole, I think it's one of those where you want to go with a group. Now, moving and walking around Expedition Hall to see all the different stuff that's out there and play demo stuff, super easy to do. Way easier than Gen Con because Gen Con's so packed and busy and it's hard to move through stuff that when you go through that big ex exhibit hall, it's almost like you don't do anything except walk by all the cool stuff. Here, you saw all those same kinds of booths and there was room to go, hey, I'd like to see this game. And they'd be like, all right, come over. Let me show you this game. So I bought like, um, I got a new RPG, which is the fall of uh, Delta Green, which is a Cthulhu 1960s monster hunting kind of RPG, which I'm going to feature on the channel pretty soon. I've been reading it and it's really fantastic. I'm going to do a review on it here pretty quick. I also picked up over on the other there. Yeah, there it is. Guild Ball which is a cool miniatures sports game fantasy where they're almost like a rugby game with fantasy characters and stuff. Um, that was pretty cool for a board game. I picked up um, a card game called Key Forge, the hot new card game. This is by the guy who created Magic the Gathering. And if you're a Steam fan, the new artifact game that they came out on Steam is also a game he helped them build and work on. So he's the designer of also Artifact, and he's created this Keyforge game. Which Artifact is a card game like Hearthstone or Magic yeah. the Gathering Arena and stuff. Okay. Yep. Yep. With all of the characters from Dota 2 and stuff. So that's really cool. It ties into the Dota universe, mm -hmm. um, which is super cool. So I got that. So I got a card game, an RPG, um, a board game. I felt really good. And then I got my PAX uh, hoodie which was really cool. Nice, cool new hoodie that I needed. And so it was really good for that. And I think it was fun to meet up with people. Um, it is in Philadelphia. Uh, so it is an East coast thing. It's harder for the West coast guy, people to get over um, to that one, but it was pretty fun. It was okay. It wasn't my favorite of the three I did. My favorite still probably had been Gen Con with getting Jordan and Greybeard and, and Cyberwolf all together and doing stuff. And it was big. My second favorite definitely was Game Holcom because I met all of the Wizards of the Coast people and I hung out with the WebDM people. But the convention itself was okay. It was more the people that were there was awesome, which is a cool one. And then PAX is like on my, was cool to go to this. And, but I don't know. I don't know. Maybe other people would get a little bit different mileage out of it, depending on it. There were lots of people there having fun. Like I saw people with tables and their group of friends. It was like a pack of, you know, like seven or eight people, they'd be walking around, they'd buy a game, they'd go get a table, they'd sit down and play, they'd all go to dinner with each other, they go back to hotels and play games, you watch them, you know, tweet their things out. And that I think is the perfect PAX Unplugged experience is that having five or six people that are like, hey, let's go pick a game up in the expo. We'll go pick a table and play it all day long. Then we'll go and get some dinner and have a good time, maybe go to a show. Then we'll go back to the hotel, maybe role play some other games up and do some stuff. I think that's the best way to do um, that, that convention. Cool. So other than that, that was my week. That was everything, even though it was um, no games as, as per se. Oh, and our Tuesday night game, our adventure league game blew up on us. Cause I uh, nearly killed my character <laughs> by touching something that turned me to stone. Oh, which we talked, we talked about, about last week. Yeah. Or two and, weeks ago. Yeah, because this created such a huge headache for the GM and to say, what the heck are we going to do? Because everybody's tier two. Do we bring in more players? Do we start over? Do we do surrogate characters? What do we do? Because it's Tomb of Annihilation has special rules. Everybody was just getting stressed about it. We've decided that game is going to continue as a non-adventure league game to alleviate the stress on our GM, which is Anarsis so that he doesn't have the anxiety and stress that he's been having trying to keep it an AL legal game, which has been a huge undertaking for him. And we could tell he wasn't having as much fun because he was being restricted. He's a very creative person. And I think now that he's going to be opened up and allowed to put in more stuff, more homebrew stuff, or do it the way he thinks it should be done, not mm -hmm. just, oh, I got to do it the way the Adventure League would do it. Um, so that Tuesday game is going to be rebooted this coming up pretty soon too. And we're going to continue that story as a non-AL game. So those have been my whole gaming schedule has been blown apart 
everything will get reformed for 2019. And then we're going to push on into the whole new year, 2019 with a whole new schedule of stuff, but more games are coming. So don't worry. It's not like we're quitting or I've burned out or anything like that. But what did Jordan do in games this week? Uh, well, a couple things, uh, but mostly I think, I think I want to talk about this in a video that I'm going to make for my channel, but I want to make like a hot springs Island video because the more I play that, like I'll read the book for, to refresh my mind on the lore of hot springs Island. But other than that, I do zero prep because you roll randomly for everything. And my players this week, um, cause I finally had a break from rehearsal. So we played hot springs Island, but my players this week, um, found some elven ruins and these elven ruins are ruins are kind of like a mini a mini map that you can go so you know you can go from hex to hex to hex well you go to the elven rune hex and it pops open like a larger map and you can go from hex to hex to hex within that that ruins so they were exploring that and i was rolling randomly for every single thing and it just got me thinking about like what if i that we we finished that game and i was just thinking how much fun is this game like, and I don't have to prep for it. And I love that it's random and it really keeps me on my toes. And I'm, I'm just having a lot of fun. So this isn't like, a, I'm not trying to like super plug them, but like, it's a really good campaign. And it, the only downside I think that I have with it, which I want to make a video and I'll talk about this more in that, is that there's not really an ending. You can kind of just continually play it for as long as you want to play it, which is a weird concept, but you as the dungeon master have to find a finale within it if you want to like finish or have your players die i guess is the other option well, right but what, what the win condition for them is they get enough money to pay their debt back home correct but there's not really like there's not a because they have my players asked me straight up like well how much money do we need and i'm like it's an abstract amount of money so it could hypothetically go on forever but like yeah yeah you never know. Like that's the goal is to acquire money and acquire loot. Um, so they can get enough money to get off of the Island. But, uh, there's, there's bigger things in play if they want to be, um, good natured characters that want to like save the world, or maybe, maybe they'll get a, a large reward if they help out the little guy here kind of a thing. So, uh, it's, it's interesting, but my other players in my other game, um, are coming up against the big bad guy. Um, I talked about this two weeks ago because I didn't get to play last week. So they're going to be fighting this big bad guy. And I got into a really good discussion about challenge rating with one of my patrons because he has a group of like, I think level 12 or 13. And he put like a level, a CR 20 creature and they just like mopped it up. No problem. And I have level 11 players um, five level 11 players and they're going up against a CR 17 creature and he's just like oh that you'll be fine like they'll have no problem if they've got magic items and they've got this like they're gonna be they're gonna be a-okay and so I'm trying to think of ways to basically I want this to be a really challenging fight and I want it to be a scary fight but I'm getting to this weird uh, area of Dungeons and Dragons where the CR rules really don't make sense anymore. Not that they made a lot of sense before, yeah. but they don't make sense at all anymore. And it's very scary for me to say, well, I'll throw a CR 22 monster at you and just see what happens because they will, uh, they will uh, get annihilated by that. Or will they like, you know, like where, like the cusp of deadly to like, fair difficult challenge it's it the line is blurred a lot and i'm not sure which side of that line to be on anymore like i either make it too easy where they can kind of handle it or it's like super deadly so my my mindset with this is that the monster they're going to fight is basically an evil wizard and he's going to be able to summon things so if that's kind of where I was going with this, like if, if they start fighting and it seems like he's going to die pretty quickly, he's going to like be, he has the ability to teleport around. So he'll kind of teleport to safety and summon monsters and maybe they'll have to fight those monsters. But, uh, that's happening tomorrow. And I'm really excited for this fight because it's been building up. We've been, we've been in this dungeon since June and we're finally coming to the end of it. And then the next chapter of, of story is going to happen after this. And it's all depending on what happens in this battle. So uh, I, the stakes are high and I'm very excited. 
Yeah, and like Chat's even kind of mentioning, I think you're right that there's a point where the CR rating breaks down. It can break down early on. It, it can breaks break down, down really early in the 11th. <laughs> but I don't know if there is a system that is going to be able to handle understanding it because everybody's party's so different. Yeah. The magic items that they have, the combination of how the players use their characters, and just the type of creature that they, they might be fighting. You never know. It's just like this weird toss-up. It does, understanding action economy can get you closer. Yes. Understanding the number of attacks that are happening versus the number of actions. So if the players have, and, and I'm thinking at 11 or 12, and you have four players or five players? Uh, I've got five players. So they're probably somewhere around 15 actions yeah. in a turn or more. They get to do 15 coolish things here or there. And you might have a creature that does two, you know, but it yeah. could or be Or with CR legendary yeah. actions does five, but that's still yeah. five compared to 15. And you start yeah. looking at hit points and all of a sudden it's like, well, they can kill this guy in two rounds. So I yeah. need to figure out a way of protecting him longer than two rounds, you know? And uh, I've been thinking a lot about this fight because I want it to be memorable and important. Um, but yeah, this we had a really good conversation about CR uh, on my Patreon Discord, which was really fun. And just kind of like, it's completely gonzo broken. Like it makes absolutely no sense. And it's this guideline that really puts, I think favors the players more than the dungeon master, um, which maybe it should rightfully do so to like yeah, make sure that the players can survive. You know, when a, when a fresh dungeon master is just kind of like, I'm going to throw these monsters at you. But after a while, when your players are like level 10 or 11 and they don't seem to have a challenge anymore, it's kind of like they they need to feel that urgency of death. Like they need to see that it's around the corner and that they could die. And right now I get my I don't think my players I they they are cautious, but I believe underneath that caution they think they're indestructible because they haven't actually gone up against something that they haven't been able to defeat. So, yeah. And I think we ourselves as dungeon masters and game masters, we can break an an encounter ourselves by pitting five against one, even if you think it's going to be a tough one because it could, we don't know what's going to happen. It's better if it's, there are numbers in your encounters that they have to deal with besides the one big bad guy. Cause there's, I think too often we think of here, go fight this one big creature and you're good. But big creatures that are big like that usually have lots of henchmen or lots of underlings or lots of things that help them do the things they do. And we sometimes forget that. So even if they're going to go fight a dragon, there's things that worship the dragon. There's things that yeah. help the dragon out that could be hindrances for the players. Or if you are going to have the one big bad guy, then have lots of environmental things going on that can mess with the players because then that keeps it, I think a little bit more fair and a little bit more interesting for them to have to not only deal with the one thing in front of them, but all the things that are going on. And that's what you want to do is you want to give them so many things that they have to worry about that they have to start making sacrifices in what am I going to do? And am I going to take the, the 4d6 damage from yeah. the like lava heat in order to land an attack that does 2d8 damage. Like right. that's a good choice that somebody has to make. So, yeah. which is funny in contrast because of hot springs Island, because I roll randomly for encounters, there have been several encounters where my players are like, we hide and they roll stealth checks so that the monsters just like overlook them. Cause they don't think they can beat them or they run away. And so that has been a really different experience from my home game where my home game, I was always focused on let's make balanced encounters, which kind of just turned into my players are able to defeat every balanced encounter I give them and right. hot Springs Island where there are no balanced encounters. So there's times that they're like, Oh, I have to fight a CR one snake. Cool. And then there's like, Oh, I have to fight four CR five elementals. And I'm like, yeah, you're not going to be able to do that at level four. Like it's just Good not going to happen. <laughs> so, yeah. And I, and I think when your players know what kind of game they're in, like your hot Springs Island players knew they were in a game where yes. they could get into trouble around any corner. There is no staying near town is only level one or two. And then when you go a little bit further out, it's level three and four. And when you go a little bit further out, it's five and six, right? It's, you could go take one step out and the dragon's there sitting ready for you. You know, it could be any. And if they're ready for that, they can play effectively. 
versus a game that you set up where it it is almost like those modules where it's real linear, where it's like, here's the stuff you're doing through levels one and two, and now mm-hmm. you take them and you do your three to four, and it feels like this, well, they play differently when they have that. And if something comes in that's way out of the ordinary, they typically try to fight it because this whole time in the module, you've been setting up this idea that, well, no, you guys could handle this. This is a fight you can handle. They wouldn't, I've had this said from my players, well, he wouldn't give us an encounter we couldn't handle, right? There must be some way to win this. And I'm thinking in the back of my head, no, no, not every counter can be won. (laughs) Some encounters you need to just run. There is no winning. (laughs) We need to help them with knowing that. Yeah. Yes. And that's true. So, um, but we're, we're, we could talk all day and clearly we have because we've gone over time. Uh, but yes, I want to say thank you guys, everybody for coming out and, and talking with us, watching us on YouTube, um, or watching us on Twitch live on solutions channel. Um, always great to have feedback and, and interesting conversation in the chat. So thank you guys so much for coming out. Uh, this was a good episode. Like I feel like we touched on a lot of really good topics, so I'm going to have to film the intro here afterwards and I'm going to have a lot to talk about. So it's going to be good. <laughs> Yeah, and I did. I also watched that stream you talked about where somebody played your Dragon on the Mount adventure. Oh, that's the other thing I wanted really to cool. talk about that I didn't get uh, to. Yeah, is uh, some some people uh, sticks and crits. Stri- yeah, mm-hmm. sticks and crits. They played my Dragon on the Mount adventure. You can check out their uh, Twitch channel to watch the VOD. Um, it was really fun, and that was really like nerve wracking for me because I was watching the DM and I could see him like making decisions. That's a whole subject that we should talk about next week because we don't have time, but. Um, he was trying to not, not that one shots are completely like railroady, but they are in a way and you want to keep them on a path. And mm-hmm. the, his, these players were going in so many different directions and you could see the dungeon master. Like I could see him thinking, going like, how do I keep them on here? Like they have, they have to be over here. They're not going to bed. Why won't they go to bed? Like <laughs> there was all yeah. these just funny little little things that was going on, but it was a really great time. It was really fun for me as a dungeon master to see, uh, to see them play that. So I had a lot of good times. Yeah. I almost feel like we should do a video where we almost kind of watch that together. And then we just talk about certain points through it and say, (laughs) Oh, like right here is this point where, you know, this was interesting how we ran it or when you ran it for us, but look at what he's doing with his group and what's happening to them. Just almost like a, a, just, an after action report or something. Cause I think that'd be a cool video for the Saturday morning channel. That would be cool for us to go back and take a look at that and just say, and it just helps with people running games and running modules and, and the, the ups and downs of running a module, the, the good things and the bad things that pop up from those. I think that could be some cool stuff for people to take a look at. Yeah, that's awesome. So thank you guys so much for coming out. Uh, we will see you next week uh, for another very special episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show because um, they're all special. That's the only reason I said that. Special. Anyway, <laughs> uh, thank you guys again so much. And yeah, uh, have a great time and we will see you next week. Goodbye, everybody. Our intro and outro music is 8-Bit March by Twin Musicom, licensed under Creative Commons. Check out their website at www.twinmusicom.org.